So welcome back to another episode of Black Girl Fly. I'm Tanisha Nicole. And I'm Shonda Dixon. And we've decided to do a part three. (laughs) (laughs) So earlier in the episodes, we were talking about really being Black in America and how really we've had this burden forever. And that led us to really our childhood experience of really being Black at Blake. (laughs) Put that in there. (laughs) And the things that we took from it really, for us, it really stemmed to a different part of the conversation. But it was really about taking a position and really deciding how you would impact or move or not move things forward and, and really what you would take on as an individual. So we wanted to kind of get into that a little for this episode, really with the understanding of really the position that we've been in historically and what it's been in our life and how it's made us in into who we are now and where we're going or what position we take. Yeah, definitely. So kind of where we left off on the last episode is we were sharing our high school experiences. And while yes, we had a lot going on at home and I think that is the understatement of the year, but we turned around and kind of coped with the school environment that we were dealing with in different ways. Yeah. And for us, by the way, that only became apparent in the last episode. Yes. Is is that we had never had the conversation about what really happened. But I would tell you that Tanisha and I, what we said when we turned off the the camera was you took an exact opposite approach from what I did. Yeah. And and she said the same about me. And, And so we wanted to kind of talk about that a little bit. Yeah. And so for me, as I mentioned in the last episode is, you know, I really focused on school and trying to impact the school environment because that is what I felt I had control over. You know, my home life was so out of my control and I was literally just trying not to be homeless. And so I put all my energy, you know, my freshman, sophomore And less so in my junior year, but we can talk about that. I put it into trying to make this high school world, like, accept me or, like, create a space for me. Not that I would conform to what they had going on, but that I could be a little bit of me in that space. And so... We had a diversity office at the school. I literally spent all my time there. there. (laughs) Yeah, I lived there. I was super cool with, they had two administrators who worked in there, a man and a woman. I'm not going to shout you out on this, but Kelly and Mr. Pope, (laughs) if y'all are listening. (laughs) What happened to not, but okay. But so I spent so much time in there. I spent, we had a step team. I was on the step team and that was, I want to say that was created by Michael Johnson. Wasn't there when I was there. I think Michael Johnson created it. She was a year, year under me. Oh. Yeah, I want to say she did. I'm not totally sure on those facts. Y'all can fact check me. But I spent a lot of time with the people of color in that environment because that is where I felt most comfortable. And in eighth grade, there was only two of us, and I felt so uncomfortable. And I had already known her from my school. And to be honest, we weren't friends at the school we were going to before, but we became friends because we we, had no choice. Yeah, we didn't have a choice. (laughs) So I was so excited to see other black faces. And like there were more because there were other grades that had black faces yeah. and so I was just trying to surround myself with as many of those as I could I found the black teachers <laughs> hung out with them and you know I created a little world yeah and we had uh we even had a group uh called Cornerstone I, I don't remember when it was named Cornerstone but it was basically a space for people of color <laughs> like wow. I was so I was is. the exact opposite 
I would tell you that when I was a freshman, there were two black girls who were juniors when I was a freshman. And so when I came to high school, I did kind of befriend them a little bit. And by the way, it just wasn't that they were black. They were also previous public school students. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And they came together. They were like best friends. So that I talked to them, but I literally like only talked to them kind of outside of school hours because they were two years ahead of me one Mm -hmm. so we weren't in any classes or anything like that but also I put my head down and I I didn't want to be noticed my coping was I'm just not gonna ruffle any feathers I'm not gonna say anything even though I would sit in literature class where every time there's a black story they look at me for answers (laughs) and I was not going to say anything (laughs) that was largely my approach is to become invisible just get through it And I was like, um, my two best friends are black and we live on the north side. My best friends, one was white and one was Asian. Yep, yep. My Asian friend, I felt like she was more Asian at home than Mm. she was at school. Interesting. Um, So actually, I actually hung out with her a lot. I remember her mom, she worked at their family-like restaurant, which was like a Vietnamese restaurant. And her sister cooked Vietnamese food all the time. So I'd always go over because I love Vietnamese food. (laughs) I ate their food, but... At school, we weren't. We kind of went in the corner a little bit. Yeah. Um, and we were not our selves. Yeah. If that makes any sense. Yeah, it makes complete sense. And I think I was trying to really form an identity. Like, you know, I struggle with that. Not black enough at home, not white enough at school. So yeah. I was trying to, like, race was not a thing to me before I went to Blake. Like It wasn't. I and never it, and had it was so funny because that. I thought about where we went from middle school. It was so freaking diverse. Our school was so we diverse. Had so a diverse. Ton of Hmong. Yeah. It was white, black, Hispanic, Hispanic, Latino. Yeah. Like it was mixed and there the friend groups were not defined not by at race. All. Yeah. So we had like white friends, black friends everything yeah i remember like we we barely even knew that we were different races i was gonna say yeah. like my friend we had a friend named kaylin she used to so at the time the popular hairstyle was we'd wear a bun and then we'd have oh. bangs and she would look just like us <laughs> <laughs> i didn't see so you know this phrase i didn't see color yeah i didn't see color yeah and we were all different and we were all accepting we never yeah. had conversations about what you had and what you didn't have yeah. or or you did this thing that was weird because you were like it was yeah. natural we knew that you might bring different food yeah didn't even pay us not it a, not a mention it wasn't a thing the only person i can remember that we like singled out honestly was just like this a dork. nerdy kid yes. yeah <laughs> yes. 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 yes pretty much that was the extent of yeah. like our segregation yes but i remember like it was like the segregation lines at Blake were so real. Like, so real. We had a black table yep. at lunch. I did too. <laughs> and I'm like, and that's where we sat for lunch. And yep. we got mad because they didn't want us to sit there anymore. Yep. And I'm like, well, why can't we sit here? Yep. I have the exact same experiences. At every moment of time, I knew I was black. Yes. Yes. Without fail. Yeah. And so I think that that is really going back to the original discussion that we were having is that it's weird to talk about it now because Mm -hmm. I would say from that point on, I realized I was black. So, Mm -hmm. so coming out high school, I went to college and my college experience was one. So I actually thought I'm going to get out of this kind of environment Mm -hmm. and look at some HBCUs. 
Mm-hmm. So, so, <laughs> and there, I remember Tanisha saying, you know, she wasn't black enough. She wasn't white enough on HBCU campuses. I was definitely not black enough. <laughs> <laughs> and I felt it. And I would tell you that coming from that environment, I still felt it. I still felt the difference yeah. in, in every situation that I walked into. Yeah. And like, I would call myself a little Angela Davis or something <laughs> back then because that was my approach to it, right? Yeah. And unfortunately, like, I don't know if it was just the home circumstances that I was dealing with, but like, I got into this really, really deep depression. Yeah. And I felt like I was fighting so hard to like be seen at school and to be valued at school and you know like little old me little 14 year old presenting to this board of directors of the school about how they need to make their curriculum more inclusive (laughs) like um and I just felt like the fight was so big yeah that it overtook me yeah And so I was very, very, very unhappy, definitely depressed, I would say. And I had the opportunity to go away (laughs) for a semester to New York. And I ran, like I really ran because I I needed to get out. I didn't, to me, there had to be more to life than just fighting. Yeah. And so, so I went and I like struggled with my identity there, but I felt this weight lifted off of me. Yeah. And when I came back, I was a different person. I was not trying to fight the fight. I was trying to enjoy my life. Yeah. And so, discover so you gave things. up. You're no longer a martyr. I was no longer a martyr. I started discovering my passions. I figured out I loved photography. I figured out I loved ceramics. Like I just loved all the art. But I also loved different cultures. Yeah. And I would explore different foods. That's when I started salsa dancing. And like, you know, there was so much more of life to be discovered than just trying to show this one community like what my world is. Yeah. No, that's so cool. And it's so funny though, because you went through that transition in high school. I would say I did the exact opposite. Hmm. So I, I get to college and I'm in a school in Louisiana. I've never been to the South before in my life. <laughs> and I'm like, what the heck is going on? I, I actually, so I prevent I can't even say it, befriended. <laughs> Still not right, but you get my point. A guy, and he was from New York. And so we were like these northerners mm. who had come down to the south and he was a few years older than me so he was going to show me the the true south. Mind okay. you, I went to school in 2000 I went to college and I graduated in 2003 so I went in 2003 2004. And at that time he was going to sh- drive me around. We we drove to Mississippi, we drove to different parts of Louisiana, and he showed me literally there were places in Mississippi that had a segregated prom. Like they had signs on the building that says white prom, da 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 da, and black prom, da 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 da. Early 2000s, y'all. 2003, 2004 is what I'm talking about. Yeah, so the school that I went to was a predominantly white school, but it was one exit from an HBCU. Mm -hmm. And the campuses were starkly different night and day (laughs) so and the only reason i found the school i went to for college is because i went to go see the hbcu Mm -hmm. and so just to tell you so when i was going to view the school to check it out see if i wanted to go my uncle had taken me and he was three years older than me so at the time he was like a senior or 
junior in college. Maybe he's four years older than me. I think he was a senior. <laughs> and so he was he was like, hey, we're going to go see this HBCU. You're going to love it. It's going to be great. And by the way, he, by the way, since he was a teenager, went to the South and loved the South and fell in love with the South, right? Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. I get to the HBCU campus. It looks terrible it looks dirty like it looks like the ghetto (laughs) like they were complaining about how they didn't have ac in some of their dorms (laughs) and i got to the campus i was like i'm not getting out the car (laughs) (laughs) literally literally i didn't go on my visit i said there's no way that i'm going to this school (laughs) and he said to me he was like well our plan isn't to be so we're gonna go from louisiana to mississippi the next day. And so he's like, well, we're not supposed to be in Mississippi oh. until tomorrow. And he's like, oh, wait, I think I know somebody who happens to go to this school up the street. We'll just kick it with her for the day and then still leave out. So we'll be on schedule for tomorrow. And so we're like, okay. So this girl takes us around and it wasn't even his friend. We went to the campus and another girl saw us mm-hmm. and she's like, hey, what are you guys doing here? And my uncle was like, oh, we're just waiting on a friend or whatever. And I was, and he was like, well, I was supposed to show her the school, but she doesn't <laughs> want to go to that school. <laughs> and so the person, random person was like, oh, let me show you around here. It's really cool. And she literally wow. took us around the campus, showed us like the cafeteria and the student center and, wow. and all that stuff. And she was talking about how much she loved it. And then like an hour, probably an hour and a half into her visit, she goes, oh man, I was supposed to be at my work study. <laughs> Oh my gosh. Wow. And so she's like, okay, I'm going to go to my work. Today. It was great. You should apply. It's amazing. And I was like, this place I want to go. <laughs> that's funny. And so that's, that's, that's how I got funny. there, by, by the way. So the experience I had there, though, and seeing the, the difference in, in the school and whatnot is, oh my God, somebody needs to help. Mm-hmm. Somebody needs to show the South that the world is greater than this. Mm-hmm. And so when I got there, I joined like all these organizations. I ultimately, I ended up pledging a business fraternity, Delta Sigma Pi. Um, I joined an organization called DBW, Society of Distinguished Black Women, which was actually started at that campus and is now nationwide mm-hmm. across the country. I actually joined the uh, college chapter of the NAACP, mm-hmm. uh, where I was acting president for a little bit. Mm-hmm. And I joined the Student Government Association, where I worked with like the Board of Presidents and stuff to try to help with. So Hurricane Katrina happened during that time. So we were helping mm-hmm. with a number of initiatives and, and looking at the loss of funding when the whole New Orleans went down. Yeah. And so I really took a stand in yeah. college. And it was for me, I felt like I had more of a community. So there was a lot more black faces. Mm-hmm. And I knew that I couldn't be in another environment like the one I had just barely escaped from. And so my thing was join groups of people to help affect change. And that would be, I would tell you, that was really my mission from then to now, mm-hmm. um, is that I found who I was. I found my voice and what I really believed. And I was no longer just going to be silent and put my head down and try to be invisible. Um, And and that's what brought me me here. That's crazy because I feel like my journey has been more like there's got to be more to the world. Find find your space versus fitting into a space that's not for you. Yeah, I would say that. I would say that, but to me, how you find your space is you got to look for it, Yeah. right? Yeah. And so, so much of my world, like 100% of my world at that time was just consumed by 
black white issues. Yeah. And once I got a taste of like, oh my goodness, there's other stuff out there. Yeah, like actually <laughs> the whole world is not consumed with yeah. this one idea. Yeah. I was like, oh wow, like what else could possibly be out there for yeah. me? Yeah. So so yeah, that's kind of the stance that I took. And I I had applied to five colleges, but it came down to two. Okay. One was an HBCU, one was not. I fell in love with the HBCU, but I also knew that I would not fit in because of class purposes. Like a lot of those black families were well off Mm -hmm. and I knew that I was not. (laughs) So that I knew that was going to be a challenge for me. And that felt eerily similar to Blake. And I was like, I don't know if I want to do that again. But what really (laughs) one of the deciding factors (laughs) was... No AC, y'all. How you gonna be in the South with no but, AC? But no. So I heard that in my story too. So HBCUs just don't have ACs for freshmen. It was only for that freshmen. Just sucks. So the deal was there was a curfew. There was no AC, and it was only a girls' school. Oh yeah. Wait. So I did. So in the HBCU that I went to go visit, they had um, like um, sex dorms by sexes. So like. Guys mm-hmm. didn't dorm with girls. Like, there was a guy's dorm and there was a girl's it dorm. Was, yeah. Okay. Yeah, there's definitely, when I compared it to the other option that I had, it was just way, number one, way too traditional than I was willing to yeah. deal with. I was like, at this point, y'all ain't got no AC for principal. <laughs> like, you just want people to suffer. It's not because you can't get AC. Yes. And so my other opportunity, you know, this is all on a superficial level. My other opportunity was offering a very brand new dorm. <laughs> a very brand new. <laughs> they had maid service. Maid service <laughs> in college. Yes, girl. We were trying. We were oh, in the like, um, laundry room trying amazing. to teach the guys how to do their laundry because they had to do it for the first time ever. <laughs> wow. Yes. Wow. But no, we had maid service, and it was in Washington D.C., which. When I went to visit it, actually, after I accepted, <laughs> um, well, I didn't accept at that point. But when I went to visit it, it reminded me, like, one of the streets I was on reminded me of New York City. Yeah. And I was just like, this is it. This is, yeah, this is it. In that moment, I said, this is it. But I took those superficial factors <laughs> into consideration. <laughs> the AC was a huge, huge one. Yes. But, but, yeah, I think... It wasn't, I mean, I do feel like I missed out on a certain experience, like that black experience, but I did join, you know, some black organizations when I was there. I didn't join like the NAACP, but I joined organizations that had minorities striving to do these like things, you know, technical organizations. Mm -hmm. So I wanted to be with my people. I just didn't want to fight the fight (laughs) anymore. (laughs) Understood. So. So if you had to take something away from this discussion, what would you take away? I would say everyone's experience is unique, um, but I think we have to recognize that we all play a different role in the fight. Mm-hmm. And I don't want to excuse, you know, excuse myself from the front lines or anything, but the way that I choose to fight is by how I live, is the example that I set in my life every day. And so, I just want to say, like, there's not one way to fight. And just because, you know, a person is not 
protesting or throwing blows or, you know, at the Senate hearings, you know, just because they're not doing any one of those things doesn't mean they're not still in the fight. Yeah. So I heard you say that you didn't want to be the martyr anymore. So when you're in an environment like the one that I described where they're saying, hey, we want to make a change now, what kind of action would you take? What kind of action am I taking right now? (laughs) That's the question. For me, the issue is, is systemic issues. They're not, it's really not about the person, you know, Becky or Karen, who is like clutching her purse when you walk down the street. That's a symptom of a larger issue. And I think you got to get at the root cause. And so what I'm interested in right now is literally creating spaces, creating infrastructure for, you know, people minorities specifically to get educated to do better to have more opportunities so that they can't tell us no yeah that they can't hold us down become a strong enough force yeah because i mean they can only tell us these things when we don't have anything to fight you know it's just words and so so yeah i think if we are just unstoppable we'll be good that sounds good yeah. I'm ready to help you. Let me know. <laughs> Let's be unstoppable, y'all. <laughs> yes. Join us. It'll Join. be coming soon. Seriously, seriously, y'all. Is there anything else you want to add? No, I, I think that that was well said. I think that we have to acknowledge everyone's plight and that there is a, a Black experience in, in America and that we all will choose to respond differently. Mm-hmm. And so don't get upset if the people that you are trying to interact with don't respond how you expect them to. But keep going. If you feel like that's your space, that's your mission, that's your cause, keep going because eventually someone will hear you and someone will it will resonate with them and there will be action there. Yeah. And I would say when it comes to choosing what your fight is, I would say lean into your gifts. Like, you know, me on a I'm not very good with politics, so I probably should not be even fighting that. You don't want any politician asking me what to do. Right. So I'm like, I might set us a little further back than what we had intended to be. So I'm like, lean into your gifts, whatever that might be, to help progress the movement, you know, even faster, even stronger. Yeah. No, that's good. I think that's a a stopping point for us. That's good. Let's go. So until next time, y'all, I'm Tanisha Nicole. And I'm Tashana Dixon. And we are Black Girl Fly. Fly.